Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1, Kobayashi Maru. Now, before we get started, I should probably go ahead and confirm what what some of our listeners are probably hearing, and that is, yes, I am congested. I am recovering from the COVID. Uh, We brought it home with us from the conference that I was attending, which is why we had to postpone one of our last podcasts, because I was in Las Vegas, apparently, running around trying to catch COVID. No, we were really good. We kept our masks on and washed our hands all the time, and yet somehow we managed to pick it up and bring it home. So my spouse went down first, and then a week later, I went down along with my offspring, and right now I can't smell anything, which is a very weird experience. Did you, have you ever had that? No. It's very strange. No. I don't wa- think I realized how much I use smell in my yeah. life. Yeah, and I just want to point out to people that we do record this podcast remotely. Yes, we're we not. We're, we're not in the we're same 3, room. 3,000 miles apart right. from each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's a very odd experience. Now, the other thing that's really weird is that while I, I've been out my sense of smell now for about three days, which it came late in the process, too. It didn't, you know, a lot. I remember reading that it came very early for some people. Yeah. But for me, this loss of sense of smell, it came very late after I had the fever and clearly started filling up with a head full of stuff. I can still taste things when my offspring cannot, and neither did my spouse. He could not taste or smell for about four days. And my offspring can't taste or smell anything, but I can taste things. I just can't smell them. It's kind of weird. I've never heard of that before, but I'm grateful. Yeah, because don't they say that your sense of smell is directly related to your taste? Yes. Yeah. That's weird. And I cannot smell anything. I mean, I pulled out some peppermint essential oil the other day. Nothing. I got nothing from it. Wow. <laughs> and that's a really strong smell. Yeah. But I, uh, we're on the road to recovery, so I know that our wonderful listeners are going to send good thoughts for health and recovery, and thank you all very much in anticipation of that. That's very kind. The other thing we wanted to mention real fast before we got started talking about Kobayashi Maru is that some people may be aware that four days before this was released, Paramount pulled it from international netflix yes and the only place that the season four of discovery could be seen was on paramount plus which that was not very a nice thing to do no not at all i don't know what it is about the folks at paramount and cbs with regard to their star trek fans they just have a pattern in my opinion of doing things that are just not nice not thoughtful to the fans well correct and we talked about this when we first first started this podcast because in order to watch this we all had to go out and buy well it was cbs all access at the time but you know we had to buy another streaming service and until lower decks and picard i was paying for the streaming service only for Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And when when the season ended, I never touched CBS All Access until the next season started. Yeah. So there has been a recent update. Discovery will be available on Paramount Plus internationally. And in the countries where it's still not going to be available internationally, it will be available on Pluto TV. 
And that was beginning Friday, November 26th, which is two days ago. Oh, good. So let's go ahead and talk about this episode, Kulbiyashi Maru. What did you think of this episode, Vicki? I really liked 96% of it. It was sad. (laughs) I thought the beginning was a little ridiculous. And although I did like the exchanges between Book and Burnham during this whole thing, you know, the butterfly people, and I know they said they weren't butterfly people, but they were butterfly people. They were butterfly people. And it was a little bit hokey, and it reminded me of something, and I can't put my finger on it, especially when when they all started flying. Well, I agree with you. It's funny because just before I sat down to record this, my spouse said, so what what are you guys going to talk about? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about this episode and how I believe this is one of the best episodes of star trek i've ever seen yes it was great after we got past the butterfly people and he said the butterfly people at the beginning didn't do anything for me (laughs) (laughs) now i didn't mind the butterfly people so much and i didn't i didn't mind it because i kind of understood at least i thought i understood what they were trying to do with the butterfly people oh yes and they were trying to not only to introduce us to new you know, species and, you know, try to show the process of how getting people to rejoin the Federation is not always smooth. But this episode was entitled Kobayashi Maru. Right. And we know, because we're Star Trek fans, Kobayashi Maru refers to the test that's given in Starfleet where it trains captains to deal with the no-win scenario. Right. Which means that we know that some point during this episode, we're going to be faced with a no-win scenario and somebody or something is going to lose. So we knew that from the get-go. So for me, the butterfly people were all about the happy beginning before we have to face the ugly decision-making of the Kobayashi Maru scenario. So I was okay with it because it was supposed to be light. Right, but they could have come up with a less comical alien. It had a very J.J. Abrams feel to it. It reminded me of something, and I couldn't, especially when they It reminded me of the scene from the second Star Trek movie where Kirk and Spock are on this planet and there's a volcano about to erupt and they're trying to get the native people away from their village so that they can't tell that Spock stops the volcano from erupting. That's what it reminded me of, running through the forest with these planet's native species chasing after them. And then they have to jump off a cliff into the ocean. That's what it reminded me of. So let's go ahead and talk about the butterfly people. Where we begin in this episode is with Burnham and Book on a planet where they are bringing dilithium in exchange for just opening up conversation about rejoining the Federation. with, And the species is called, let's see, I, ha- I wrote it down here someplace. Alshan? The Alshan, yeah. The species, you know, is uh, wear all like really pale gray suits. We discover later that they have all these butterflies that attach the suits and make them fly. But that's only when they get mad. Apparently. (laughs) So one of the things that was of interest to me, and that's what I think one of the reasons why this didn't sit well as a series of scenes, is because the Alshane apparently are very literal. Mm -hmm. And so Burnham starts using turns of phrase and starts saying things that they're misconstruing in their literal fashion. They get very unhappy because they scan Book's ship and discover that he brought a carnivore with him on their peaceful pastoral planet with no carnivores. And of course, the carnivores grudge the cat, his pet. And they don't really understand the purpose of the pet, which leads to a really funny line when, you know, he says that he takes care of her and loves her. And they say, does she love you back? And he's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then he uses his phrase, she's a queen, to explain his affection for her. But they misconstrue that and assume that 
he means that she's a ruler and say, you have a monarch, and then the butterflies appear. We're going to save the monarch, which I thought We're... was the most ridiculous part of the whole thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the one drawback that I agree with you 100% is, was there no preparation by our Starfleet officers and adjunct to understand that the Alshane were very literal. So I'm going to stop you right there because I can pick up actors by their voice sometimes and I thought the head butterfly's voice sounded familiar. So when I went to look him up, I found out he wasn't familiar. He's only had two parts. But I accidentally saw a review headline and I didn't read the review because I don't like to read things before we record. But the headline said, when bringing your pet ruins your mission. Yeah. And I have to imagine it was about Enterprise and Portha. Ah, interesting. What was the name of that Enterprise episode where he brought Porthos and Porthos peed on something and and then Porthos ate something and he was deathly ill? Was it a night in sickbay? That's what it was called. Yeah, one of my son's favorite episodes because of the dog. That's the one I was thinking of. And in that case, you know, he offended the local population because his dog came and I think Porthos peed on something. Yes, a, a tree. And then he had to engage in this really elaborate apology routine. Yeah. Which I actually really liked because you need humility when you're dealing with other cultures. Exactly. Exactly. I think we we're both on the same page on this. Why was there no research to know that, okay, maybe Grudge shouldn't be on the ship? Right. Maybe you beam down instead of fly down on the ship. You can beam the dilithium down too. So the next thing I know, they're being chased through the forest by the flying butterfly people. But the butterfly people aren't able to fly accurately and they're not shooting accurately. And so Burnham tries to find out why and they discover that the butterfly people use their planet's magnetic pole to help them with their trajectories and their magnetic pole has shifted 14 degrees since the burn and they used satellites to broadcast, to compensate for the 14-degree shift, I guess. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. But the satellites were defunct because they were out of dilithium. In the middle of this chase scene, which I actually kind of liked, this was kind of fun, but it did really feel like J.J. Abrams. This was like, you know, Kirk trying to solve everything. They had the dots leave the ship and reinstall dilithium into the satellites, which added to their ability to shoot at them. And then they ran away to escape. Which, that part didn't make any sense to No, me. because now they could shoot them, and they missed them every time. But also, if the ship was available right there off the cliff, why didn't they just hide in the ship? Maybe <laughs> it was flying towards them, cloaked, to that part we missed? Well, that could be. Maybe it wasn't there to begin with. Yeah. That's what I thought, that it wasn't there. I think when they jumped, it kind of sounded like they weren't sure it was there. Okay. Anyway, okay, so they get back to Bookship, and then they essentially give the dilithium that they had promised to the Alshane, and then they left. And then the Alshane communicates and says, why did you give us the dilithium, even though we chased you through the forest trying to kill you? And she says, it's because we're the Federation, and it's what we do. Yeah, I'd still love to hear why so many people are not happy with the Federation. I don't think we've ever actually that is an excellent question. heard anything about yeah. that. I mean, we keep hearing about it, but we don't hear what the problem was. And, uh, and you know, maybe it, it was about just because, you know, when the burn happened, there was nothing the Federation could do. When you are the entity that solves problems and saves the day all the time, and you suddenly can't save the day, people turn on you. True. But Burnham says to the butterfly people that we understand that even before the burn you were losing your confidence yes. in the Federation. So yes. I'm assuming there was a bigger problem even before the burn. No, I think that's a good point. We're probably going to see that too. So then the mission is accomplished and it's and it's this, you know, that it's a really nice tight and that's one of the things I really like this episode. The whole episode was really tight. 
And the only reason thing that kind of like you just pointed out or that you have pointed out is that the tightness was too tight in the butterfly scene such that it didn't make sense. Um, but the rest of the episode was really well done, very tight, very fast, really good. Anyway, so she uses her signature line, let's fly. What do you think of her signature line? I mean, I can't think of anything else she could use. Yeah. I can't come up with another line that she could use. I could live with it. So what was Pike's line? Hit it. Hit it, hit it, okay. Yeah. And then we've got engage. But right. Kirk didn't have a line. Yeah, I keep trying to think if he did have a line, but I don't think he did. And neither did Cisco. And I don't think that uh, Janeway did either. So I'm not sure a line is necessary. I think Janeway might have used engage, which wasn't her line to begin with. Yeah. Okay. So then we actually go to Kaminar in the next you know, segment of the story here, uh, where there is some of the most beautiful set design I've ever seen. It was gorgeous. So we're in, a, I guess, a council chamber of some kind, and... It's underwater, and it's really a beautiful space. It's wide open with windows, and they've got the Bayul, mm-hmm. who I guess were, those were the ones that were killing... Oh, why am I blanking? Kelpians. Kelpians, thank yeah. you. Killing the Kelpians. When we first met Saru, the Kelpians went through this uh, manifestation where they kind of evolved from more peaceful to a little bit more aggressive, and the Bayul were killing them Right. before they went to the aggressive stage, and they had turned it into part of their culture. Mm-hmm. But now they're connected with each other and aligned and function together as, you know, a populace in, on Kaminar. So they're there, the Baula are there, and the Kelpians are there, and they're talking about what to do with the gift of the, the, the dilithium that the Federation gave them. And there are some who are advocating that we should just, you know, stay at home and be safe. And, and Saru, I, I thought, did a beautiful job talking about how the whole universe is their home. Yes, he did. It was a wonderful scene. Yeah, it really was. Oh, and I loved how they called him the Great Elder. Yes, I did too. I did too, yeah. Oh, that was just wonderful. This idea of, you know, respecting his age and according him that honor because of his age, because of his experience is just really cool. Yeah. And then we also learn he convinces them, or at least he assures them, that there can't be another burn because Sukal is no longer on the dilithium planet. So it just can't happen. And Sukal seems to have settled in. He seems like he's doing well. Then we go back to Discovery, and Book is leaving for Quijon because he's going to go attend his nephew's coming-of-age ceremony. This is kind of funny because Book is leaving for Quijon, and Burnham is going to go down for the opening ceremony for Starfleet Academy. Right. Starfleet Academy is opening up again. And she's frustrated because the president of the Federation is going to be there. And he tells her she's got her growly face on, which I thought was kind of funny. And said she, when she has her growly face on, she gets an 11 between her eyes. Yeah. That was hilarious. We get to see the ceremony where they welcome what looks like about 20 new cadets. And then she introduces the president and the president congratulates Discovery on everything they've done for the Federation. And then introduces... This is a very, very cool scene. Again, this is another set where the detail was just amazing. She points behind them where there's this great big, I don't know if it's a force field or a great big window, but she says she's commissioning the new Archer space dock. Yes. And then the space dock lights up and we get to hear music from Enterprise. Yes. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And that whole scene to me was reminiscent of the president not giving the Enterprise the credit they deserved after the Zindi War. And because Michael pretty much saying the same thing about this president, although she does actually 
give them the credit they deserve. Right. That's kind of what it reminded me of, because she said that when she was talking to Book, that this is all politics. Yeah. So, and then it was funny, because that's what it reminded me of while I was watching it, and then they went to the Archer space dock. So I thought that might have been deliberate, but maybe not. Probably. No, that makes sense. So then afterwards, they're all, you know, celebrating and talking together, and we get to learn that Tilly has actually been promoted to a lieutenant. I thought you'd be happy about that. Finally, three years of being indispensable on this ship, and now she's finally a lieutenant. Right, so Harry Kim stands alone. (laughs) Poor Harry. (laughs) Anyway, so in the middle of this, they get a distress call. And so Admiral Vance and the president, President Rillick and Vance and Burnham go listen to this distress call, and it's from a... Space Station, Deep Space Repair Beta 6. And they're having a lot of issues. And they're not sure what's going on, but they're going to send Discovery to go fix the problem. Right. So Rillick announces she's going to go too. And Burnham is not happy because she's like, she doesn't want the president just riding on the ship so that she can say that she's seen action. Right. To mark off a checkbox in her political whatever. Yeah. Vance seems a little perplexed at Burnham's response, as was I. Who cares? So she gets, so she checks off a box. So what? Yeah, I think that leads back to the book and Burnham conversation. Politics are not anything she's interested in. She's not interested in helping any sort of politician. And actually, Vance says something about that. You yeah, know, he does, and it's a great line. Yeah, he says it's good to have a talented politician in your pocket. So maybe that's a reference to what you were talking about. Maybe the pol- when the things started to go bad with the Federation, they didn't have good politicians. It could be, yeah. And that's why people got dissatisfied and unhappy with the Federation even before the burn. So anyway, but for me, it's more than just she doesn't want to be involved in politics. Because theoretically, with her Vulcan background, she'd be able to disassociate herself from whatever the political stuff is that Rillick's doing on her ship and just focus on her job. This is an actual antipathy. She doesn't want to be used Yes. To promote this person's political agenda. Games, right. Which, right. Which I actually, but agreed. Absolutely agreed. However, she doesn't even know what Rillick's political agenda is. That's what I mean. I think it doesn't matter to her. It, she's a politician. And in her head, all politicians behave the way that she thinks they're going to behave. In my opinion, I think that's short-sighted of her. Right. I think I really agreed with what Admiral Vance said, and I think it goes to something that Rillick says at the end of the episode. So we're going to circle back to this. And that's one of the reasons this episode is so good, because there's consistency here with what's going on. So they head out to the space station, and then we sort of shift gears, and we go to Quijon, and we get to see this really beautiful ceremony with Book's nephew, Leto. Mm-hmm. Becoming a man and connecting with the world root on the planet and becoming a member of the family that goes back generations, hundreds of generations. And it's a really beautiful scene. Right. And as soon as we saw the boy running away in slow motion, I knew Damn it. Right, something was going to happen. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so when the boy runs away in slow motion, we actually see some strange bird behavior. And so that's when things start to go a little funky. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. 
Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. On the space station, they are trying to figure out what's going on. The space station is spinning like mad. It, You know, something has hit it. It's clear that something has hit it. It is completely lost at attitudinal control. And it's just spinning and twirling and, you know, and they're barely holding it together. And I love, oh, Detmer's so awesome. In order to be able to beam over the space station, they have to match rotation and what, everything that the space station is doing. And Detmer's just so awesome. So she's totally got that under control. When they're trying to figure out what's going on and they replay the distress call, Michael notices that there is a strange distortion on one side behind the guy whose name is Malice. Mm-hmm. Malice is making his distress call. You can see a distortion in Starfield behind him. And they determine that there's some kind of gravitational anomaly hit the space station. So they send Adira and Tilly over to fix stuff. They need some programmable matter. So that's that wall of stuff that ate Michael. She brings a little container of programmable matter and they go and they try to get things started. And the guy who runs the space station is a little tense. He's a bit, he's tense. He (laughs) wants to put the programmable matter in himself because he knows the space station. And that makes sense. Which it goes fine and they get everything fixed, except as soon as they stop the space station from spinning and turning, all of a sudden they start being hit by frozen methane and it's doing a huge amount of damage and so they extend Discovery's shield around the space station but the amount of impact this this shield is taking means that it's only going to be able to stay in place for a short period of time so they got to get everybody off the station but there's only one escape pod and so they're trying to get the escape pod to go and it's stuck so then Burnham has to go out and fix it and this leads to a very interesting conversation with Rillick and at this point Rillick started to become very interesting to me. When the escape pod is stuck, Nalus announces that they're going to move to a different level to try to get the pod on a different level, whereas Tilly is arguing with him because there's no life support anywhere else on the station except for this one place. And if he takes his team to this other level, they're all going to die because there's no life support. But he's freaked out, and he is not listening to reason. And then all of a sudden, President Rillick starts talking about some beautiful place on his home planet. Yes. That most people on his home planet don't even know about. And she's talking about how lovely it is. And it calms him down and gets his focus on going home and seeing this beautiful place again. It's a brilliant moment. Absolutely brilliant moment. And Michael's response to this is, that was manipulative and you suck. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was saying before. She's not going to yep. give her an inch. And I'm thinking, No. That was exactly what needed to happen. Right. Rillick all of a sudden became very, very interesting to me at that moment. And when she, when Michael said, did you make that up or did you lie to him? And Rillick was like, what difference does it make? Because the point was to save the situation. So now for Michael, being a Vulcan who doesn't lie and a member of Starfleet who doesn't lie, who has, you know, very well grounded morals and ethics, lying to save the situation may, it may not be an okay excuse. And that may be what she's objecting to. Anyway, so Michael has to go out and try to, she's the only one who knows how to pilot the remote pod thing, which is what we saw her in in the very first episode, in the very first season, this remote pod thing. Rillick actually objects. Why do you need to go? You're the captain. You need to stay on your ship. And Michael's like, I'm the one with most experience to do this. 
So for Michael, it's a, it's an evaluation of what's the, what's the best resource for completing this job. And for Rillick, it's like, no, you're the resource that needs to stay on the ship in order to keep things together. So Michael goes out and she actually fixes the escape pod. They load almost everybody up except for Tilly, Adira, and Nallis, the commander of the station. Right. All the rest of the people get on board and then they send, send the pod back and they load up Tilly and Adira and Nallis, send them over to Discovery, but they have run out of time as far as the shields are concerned. The shields fail before the pod reaches Discovery. And they shift as fast as they can. Burnham gets everything ready, calls Black Alert. They're ready to spore drive out of there, but it's a moment too late. And the pod crashes into the shuttle bay and kills Nallis, which of course, I saw that coming, didn't you? Yes, of course. All he wanted to do was go home. Right. As soon as he stopped talking about how much he was looking forward to going home and, you know, it was just going to be so wonderful. I'm like, oh, dude, you're dead. I'm really sorry. Jumping back, I almost felt the same way with Vance and his family. Yes. Because he was smiling and he was smiling and we don't see him smile. And I was like, oh my God, something's going to happen. Yes. (laughs) No one's allowed to be happy. No. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back to Quijon and Book has gotten into his ship to try to see if he can solve the mystery of the birds. And as he's rising out above the planet and he's going up into the sky, the birds are starting to fall to the ground like they're dead. Right. And he tells his brother to take his nephew and get him someplace safe. And he's going to try to figure out what's going on. And he leaves the atmosphere and goes out into orbit above Quijon. And as he does, he sees the gravitational anomaly. And it looks like it destroys one of the planet's moons. Then the debris hits the ship and we don't see what happens next. There's a great scene then with Burnham and Rillick. And Burnham's very sad because Nellis has died. And Rillick brings up the Kobayashi Maru test. And it's funny because Burnham says, you're Starfleet. And she said, no, I ran a lot of cargo for my yeah. father, which makes me wonder who her father is. Well, I'm wondering, and maybe they're trying to make it seem like there's more to this president that meets the eye. Or maybe I'm just reading into it because, remember, I'm the one still waiting for the albino. But it just seems like there's more to her, that there's something we don't know about her. Yeah. I just don't know if they're just trying to make us think that or if I'm just being me and making up theories. Well, I think there's more to her. Because every single scene where we saw her, she did something different than I was expecting her to do. Right. And I love that. I love being caught off guard by a character. And she shows a lot of depth and layers, which I'm really appreciating. And this scene with Burnham, I loved it. The back and forth between the two of them because they were both right. Exactly. Uh, So she says she sort of discloses to Michael that she's on her ship not to put a checkbox in her political resume of having seen action, but because she was evaluating Michael as a potential captain of a a new starship with a prototype drive. And she wanted to see if Michael had the personality to captain a ship like that. And she said she's not ready, which Burnham is almost offended by that. Yeah. Did, Did you get that impression? Oh, she absolutely was because she said she wouldn't have taken the promotion anyway but she was still going to argue her case yeah what do you mean by ready and Drillick says to her all the things that you and i have been saying for season three exactly you are unpredictable the phrase that she used was huge swings of the pendulum and that's exactly what you and i've been talking about yes you know she's you know emotionally decisions over here and non-emotional decisions over there and there's no consistency between the two and to have this character identify that 
I think it's like so cool because now we have an arc for Burnham to work on. And it's been set right here. It's been identified in the story. You have huge swings of the pendulum. And the other piece of it is that she says there's going to come a time where you can't save everyone. And Burnham says she can't think that way. She needs, she's always going to be thinking from the perspective I can save everyone, which is a very Kirk way of looking at the world, which I thought was kind of cool because, you know, we have Picard who knew when to cut the losses and, and make the decision that might result in people dying. Right. Janeway would do the same. I think even Cisco would do the same, but Kirk wouldn't. And now we have Michael who's not going to either. And right. I think that's kind of cool. You kind of see the personalities that get drawn to the captain's chair. What did you think of this scene? Well, like you said, she said exactly what we've been saying. Not just this season. We've been saying this since the beginning of the series. Yeah. So, you know, I get that. I understand exactly what she was trying to tell her. And that's why they brought up the Kobayashi Maru. And she said, that's the point of the whole thing. You can't always save everyone. If you try to save everyone in a no-win situation, you're saving no one. So, yeah, I understand exactly what she's saying. And I think she's right. Right. And you can also really admire and respect Burnham's desire to want to save everyone. Oh, absolutely. Who wouldn't? Of Who course. Wouldn't? Exactly. Yeah. So it's a really great scene. Yeah. Really, really great scene. So in the middle of this conversation, Book's ship arrives on autopilot. He was, I guess, knocked unconscious when chunks of moon hit his ship. And they try to find Quijon and finally find it way far away from where it's supposed to be. And the entire planet is on fire. And... Yeah disintegrating and it is probably the most horrible thing ever it's horrible not only is his planet gone but he's gonna feel guilt for not being there for being he's gonna feel guilt for not being there he's gonna feel guilt for the estrangement that lasts for so many years you know it's a terrible scene and i have to say that i appreciated so much the looks of horror on everyone's face all the actors faces all the crew's faces right that mirrored my own i was kind of hoping when they said it wasn't there that the gravitational anomaly maybe swallowed it up and they could find it in another dimension or something. Right, but they showed it. (laughs) And then they showed us the planet on fire and just disintegrating in space. Right. And we knew that that sweet little boy was gone. And it was just terrible. It was. It was awful. I really was almost in Right. Tears. You know, I thought we had escaped. Yeah. I was prepared. I was prepared by the title of the episode for a decision that was going to result in a loss. Exactly. And we thought it was going to be on the station, Deep Space yes. Six or whatever it was. Actually, we knew something was going on with Quijon. So I thought it was going to be a, have to be a choice between the station and Quijon. Oh, okay. That was yeah. going to be the Kobayashi Maru. That's what I thought was going to happen, was that she was going to have to make a choice between the two and that was going to be the no-win scenario and then when that didn't happen and we had the president talking about the Kobayashi Maru in sort of an abstract way as opposed to an actual way where that no-win scenario plays out I thought okay we escaped (laughs) and then we didn't I don't usually listen to the end credit music did you listen to the end credit music oh no I didn't it's really pretty it's like they took the discovery theme and reduced it to piano and maybe piano or just violin and it's very soft and reflective it was really actually quite nice knowing that they had just stabbed all their viewers in the heart they right. were now going to give us soft music <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was very sweet and gentle and you know kind of soothing after sitting there with my mouth open so how cool is that a Star Trek episode left me with my mouth hanging open. I know. Hey, Star Trekky people. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this one? I'll give it an 8, at least. Yeah, I'm, an, I'm at 9, or yeah. 9.5. This is, like I said, one of possibly one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, I think it's a great scene, sign for the next season. Definitely. The next episode, for those who are keeping track, is called Anomaly, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming refers to this gravitational anomaly that destroyed Quijon. 
right now I'm to myself operating on the assumption that this is a, a natural event, you know, a natural disaster kind of thing. I'm thinking something's going on. It's going to be something they have to solve. Well, I think they're going to have to solve it too. They're going to have to stop it from doing, you know, more damage someplace else. I agree with that. They're going to have to use their sciencey stuff, which I like it when they use their sciencey stuff. But I don't think it's going to be. I don't think that the underlying political intrigue, which we know is coming, right. I don't think it's starting here. I think it's going to start someplace else. But I know it's going to start, and it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts about? Season four, episode one, Kobayashi Maru. There's just a couple little things. Early yeah. in the episode when Stamets and Adira, I forgot what they were trying to do, and they both yelled geomagnetic compensators Yeah. at the same time. They were trying to fix the butterflies yes. satellites. Yes, I think it's only reminding me because I listen to the Delta Flyers and they talk about that moment a lot, but it reminded me of the warp particles moment when Janeway and Bellana are going through this whole scenario trying to figure out something and they both yell war particles. It's very oh, early. Episode was that? It's very early. Now, I'm not even sure that Bellana is chief engineer yet. It might be the episode where they want to make... Stuck, they're stuck in that... Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. It's like the second episode. Yeah, it's very, very early in the series. Yeah. The other thing is when they're on the station and Stamets asks about Adira, then in an obvious afterthought, asks about the rest of the away team. Yeah. And I wondered, because it was so obviously an afterthought that he asks about the rest of the away team, I wondered if they were trying to show us that he got that talking to we spoke about last week without actually Maybe. having to, without showing us. Did you us. notice how his voice is pitched a lot higher this episode? It, it, he, he's, it's something very interesting that I noticed. He seemed to be, his voice was pitched higher, which makes him sound less certain himself and certain in his rightness and so i'm wondering yeah that may be because of what you just said i was wondering i didn't draw any conclusions about it because i was just like okay what are they going to do with this character now but that's a really good thought i wonder if he did get that talking to because if he did you know, if Colbert gave him that talking to and he really took it to heart then he wouldn't be so certain he would be reevaluating his sense of right and and that could explain why the voice was pitched a little higher that could be yeah but when he asked about the rest of the, the away team it was so obvious that it was an afterthought yeah. i was sure that he got a talking to from somebody so they didn't have to show us the whole talking to that we would just know yeah. it and even at the beginning last week when they made burnham captain you know he plotted with everybody else but it was kind of a reluctant applause yes. and maybe it was the subject matter that he was applauding for the reopening of starfleet academy but it was more yeah. enthusiastic so i was wondering if this whole stamets and burnham thing is just over and that's the way they Boy, wouldn't that be great and i was wondering if that's the way they're trying to show us it's over without having to show so. us show us everything that happened to make it over i hope so because yeah. i don't want soap opera drama but other than that i think that's it all right cool i think we uh i think we've talked about this very thoroughly all right unless there's anything else no. Go ahead and wrap this up. What do you think? I'm all set. All right. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time when we discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 2, Anomaly. We'll look forward to that. Okay. We'll see you next week. Thank you. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. 
creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.